Welcome to the 1CA Podcast. In today's episode, we will be discussing .milpf recommendations made by three NCOs from the 91st Civil Affairs Battalion. Sergeant First Class Matthew Peterson, Staff Sergeant Chris Bryant, and Staff Sergeant Haley McNeely. Sergeant First Class Peterson currently serves in the 97th Civil Affairs Battalion in the Civil Information Management Cell. His prior assignments include the 91st Civil Affairs Battalion, where he served as a team sergeant, the 84th and 83rd Civil Affairs Battalions, where he served as a Civil Affairs NCO, and the 19th Expeditionary Sustainment Command, where he served in the G9. Sergeant First Class Peterson holds a Bachelor of Arts in History, East East Asian Studies, and Languages from Minnesota State University, Moorhead. Additionally, he holds an MBA in International Business and Finance from Oklahoma City University. He has served in the Arabian Gulf, Afghanistan, Japan, Philippines, Korea, and Burkina Faso. Staff Sergeant Haley McNeely is currently attending the Defense Language Institute. Her previous assignments include the 91st Civil Affairs Battalion, where she served as a Civil Affairs NCO on a Civil Affairs team and in the Civil Military Operations Center. She holds a Bachelor of Science in Strategic Studies and Defense Analysis from Norwich University and is, curr- and is currently pr- pursuing her Master of Science in Criminal Justice. She is deployed to Djibouti, Burkina Faso, and Senegal. Staff Sergeant Christopher Bryant is on his first assignment as a Special Operations Civil Affairs Medical Sergeant in the 91st Civil Affairs Battalion. He holds a Tier 1 Certificate in DoD International Affairs, is a credentialed Tactical and Advanced Tactical Paramedic, and is pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Health Science. Before joining CA, he was a detainee operations specialist at Fort Leavenworth. He has deployed to Burkina Faso in support of Flintlock 19 and as the medic for the Civil Military Support Element. Their paper highlighting these discussions was recently published in the Unomia Journal. Are you looking to publish your work highlighting content relevant to CA? Go to www.civilaffairsassoc.org forward slash Unomia, E-U-N-O-M-I-A, to find out how you can be published as well. I hope you enjoyed the episode. All right, welcome to the 1CA Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Sean Acosta, and today I'm joined by Sergeant First Class Peterson and Staff Sergeants Bryant and McNeely. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks. Having us. So we'll start out with a question that we ask everybody. What made you guys come on over to CA, or what was enticing about civil affairs? Uh, so I'm prior infantry. I was on a recon and security mission uh, in Afghanistan, and uh, part of our mission was providing uh, force protection to a, uh, a reserve CA unit. And uh, seeing how they operated, it, it kind of took me aback at first. Um, at first, I thought it was uh, kind of uh, reckless, um, but uh, after going on a few missions with them uh, to some pretty dangerous places and seeing uh, how they saw the battlefield uh, differently. Um, it was really impressive, and after that, I started requesting uh, for my squad to go on uh, more of these missions, and uh, they had a really big impact on me, particular, uh, particularly uh, Sky Major Bessmer, and uh, he explained it best. He said, you know, it, anybody can kick in a door, um, but it takes a different kind of courage to knock on the door and not know what's behind it, and uh, I thought that was, uh, was a really unique way of looking at things and their idea of, uh, of how to quell uh, problems in the area, which at first I thought wasn't going to work, um, actually ended up being quite successful. And uh, we pacified the area uh, 
probably within about the first four months, we had a pretty good relationship with people in, uh, in all different areas, including some areas that were mostly Taliban, and uh, really made a big impact. And from that point, that's when I decided, like, I, I really was interested in CA and wanted to be a, a, a civil affairs NCO. Awesome. Yeah, so for me, uh, I did some, uh, I was stationed at Fort Leavenworth, uh, Kansas, and the war colleges there, and there's a lot of sea officers that go through. Um, so in the gym, talking to them, they kind of uh, drew me to CA, talking about it, uh, got in touch with the SORP recruiter. Um, he was a 38 series, and he gave a great sales pitch, and uh, I was really interested in kind of everything they did, and, um, you know, uh, as far as humanitarian assistance, different things of that nature, uh, and just overall, like, the gray zone, I guess, that they operate in, and uh, the versatility, that's what attracted to me, it to me, the job. It's very versatile and kind of ever-changing and evolving, so, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the story for me. And Haley, what about you? What brought you over to CA? Uh, I started off as a petroleum supply specialist at Fort Bragg, so I've been at Bragg the whole time I've been in the Army, and uh, I didn't really know anything about civil affairs at first. I just saw the signs around Bragg, and I got to looking into it and talked to a SORB recruiter and just hearing about like the language opportunity, uh, small team atmosphere, more deployment opportunities, and like a defined training cycle. So I decided I wanted to give selection a try and go from there. Awesome. So you were at Bragg your entire career until now, correct? Correct. So you're out in California just soaking up all the rays right now? Uh, it's still a little chilly, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right, so you guys were actually all on the same team together, right? Correct. In the 91st, and I'm assuming that's how just one day sitting in the team room, you guys were all like, hey, I got these ideas, and then someone said, let's throw these on paper, or how did it come to be? Man, so, yes. <laughs> um, so we had these ideas, and uh, thanks to Sarah Peterson here, um, he told me, like, uh, one of the things during his mentoring with me, he said, you know, people can have great ideas. A lot of NCOs have great ideas. But if you never put anything on paper, if you never, you know, try to implement change, like nothing's going to come to fruition. You'll just be that guy people remember for two or three years after you're gone that had good ideas. So I was like, well, we're going to do it. You know, we're going to put ideas on paper. And the at that time, I received an email from the CA Association talking about the um, competition for the symposium with the papers. I was like, this is our chance. And... Uh, Sergeant Peterson had a lot of experience in writing before. Um, he uh, wrote a couple other articles that were actually published uh, by the CA Association. So I kind of wanted to, uh, I was picking his brain a lot, doing this paper, and a lot was going on paper after, we were doing this in our spare time uh, on deployment. So uh, like after missions, late into the night, pot of coffee going, I was kind of putting ideas on paper and going to him a lot. And eventually I, was, I realized it was kind of bigger than myself. So. I went got with Haley and she put a lot of, of great pieces in and then he had a lot of great input so I was like well let's you know he's we all suggested let's come together and do this together and you know, give it our best shot and put the best product out possible so I don't know if you had any different perspective yeah it was uh it was mostly um started off with Chris yeah he really wanted to uh to do something get something down on paper uh that that might drive some change and uh I think in the end we wanted it to be something that uh, that showed that enlisted personnel uh, we do have ideas we do care about the future of the branch and um, sometimes it's, it's it seems that it's just the officers that are that are driving things and uh, we have this ground floor view um, 
and we have something to contribute. So um, we thought it was important to uh, to give an enlisted perspective of, uh, of what the topic was for the symposium. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's one of the reasons we wanted to get you guys onto the, the podcast. You know, as a as a non commissioned officer myself, I think it's important that we get these ideas out to the regiment, right? And we need more NCO involvement in you know writing, publishing, and all these things. So uh, the association itself, we we're talking a little bit offline before we started this about the Unomia Journal that is going to be coming out soon, um, and there's going to be ample opportunities for NCOs to publish writing in there. Um, so, yeah, I think it's important that we continue to, to get NCO involvement in this. In that paper, the kind of the outline you guys took was a, a dot mil PF approach, right? And it was all across just a lot of things within the regiment. So I guess we can just start from the top, right? Um, and we'll go from there. So you guys talked about uh, doctrine, right? And one of the things you guys talked about was defining those roles for a uh, civil affairs team. So maybe you guys can expand a little bit more on that. Yeah, I think I think Haley has a lot to uh, to contribute to this because she was the uh, the CANCO on, okay. on the team, and uh, you know we noticed when we looked at, at the FM, uh, there's a lot of uh, defining of uh, uh, of different things: a, a CAPT, a CMOC, a civil affairs task force, uh, and there was nothing for the team. I mean, if you look at an FM for you know the infantry. You'll find in there, you know, it'll talk about what, what composes a squad, what composes a platoon, um, and there's nothing in there. And, and that CANCO just kind of gets the, uh, you're doing commo and h and 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 whatever else, and um, not really uh, like a, a training pathway for that. It's kind of trial and error. So I, I think Haley, uh, Haley can speak to that a lot better than, uh, than either Chris or I. Yeah, I think it. It definitely depends on your area of responsibility or, you know, whatever your mission set is. But um, I think it's pretty dynamic uh, in West Africa. You know, you get out there and get on ground and you're not really sure, like, what kind of calm situation you're going to walk into. So, you know, it is hard to try to properly train up for that. And then the other stuff that comes with that is, like, op fund um, contracts and just, like, how to take care of a house. Uh, like Matt said, the SIM, HNA piece of it, uh, there's just a lot of other things that fall into what I guess a CANCO should be able to do. And like you said, you know, the, the JPFM doesn't cover that. And I think, you know, depending on the mission set, it can be easier in some areas. You, you may not have those things to worry about if you're staying in a hotel or if you're not even carrying a weapon or maybe you only use comms out of the embassy or something like that. But for our case, um, you know, we had to figure out really quick that there was a lot more to it. And uh, I just think moving forward uh, at the FM, which I know they're working on a draft now, but if doctoring can really define more of a role for the CANCO and then in the train up, if those kinds of things can be offered, uh, you know, as well with having everybody on the team know a little bit about that so you can have some overlapping and not like a single point of failure. Okay. So going through the course, I saw a lot. Um, you get a lot of cadre from a lot of different perspectives uh, and backgrounds. And uh, going through the course, they touched a little bit on defining roles and responsibilities. Um, but uh, at times it was vague. 
Um, and understandably, because depending on where you're at, it's evolving and changing. It's not certain. So uh, that, that was a big thing for me. So you got a lot of perspective from people in the course trying to figure out what their defining role and responsibility is. Um, you know, you have a lot of great input from the cadre, um, and it's also just very, very diverse, too. So you're kind of wondering the entire time. So um, when I was reading through it, what caught me is it has these, these very defining roles and responsibilities. And a big push right now uh, with the 95th is silver constants at COs. And what really catches me there is um, you have this kind of this push right now to get everyone um, qualified in silver constants. Um, to give those Kankos a defining role. But, um, you know, that makeup of that course is still being tested and still being, um, you know, approved through the 95th Brigade. Um, so things, the new push is R-Slick as well, ARC, things of that nature. So I think if you have an innovative and creative NCOs um, that, were push, that were crafting and, and putting in the regiment, they'll be able to take the things from R-Slick, from ARC, and those standard reconnaissance roles you find in the normal army and craft them into this civil reconnaissance and really help write the doctrine to give a, a Kanko defining role um, that is ever-changing but incorporates a lot of H&A, um, communications, civil reconnaissance, things of that nature. Um, and at least if you can outline that, it can still have some flexibility, um, but kind of give a better idea to drive you know, the future of what these Kankos will evolve into. You know, I can see that for sure. I know, you know, Communications and all that has been brought up in the past, and people use the argument like, "Oh, we're filling a radio or complex a skill level one task." Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot more stuff that goes into it. <laughs> we don't know, right? Yeah. It's not just, "Oh, here's a, a 152 or a 117." There's SDNs. There's all these other things yeah. that you have to be uh, well versed on, right? And and other soft tribes have communications guys that are dedicated to that, right? So yeah, I think there's a lot of validity to what you guys are calling for here. Um, and with that, with these roles, uh, really kind of rolls right into the next part of your paper. You guys talked about expanding a team and having juniors and seniors on that. So uh, I'll let you guys talk a little bit more about that as well. Yeah, we, we talked a lot about, uh, number one, expanding the, uh, expand the size, and then also, um, you know, adding roles and responsibilities. Uh, by nature of where we were at, uh, we were... Um, really the only full soft team on the ground. And uh, when you're in a place that's a, a semi-permissive environment and there are dangers out there, there's you know, videos, um, unrest, things like that, you start thinking about, okay, I have, I have a four-person team. I mean, I'm basically a fire team. Uh, if one person goes down, I now have two people carrying that one person. And I've only got one medic, so I've got one person to pull security I've got two other people trying to move this person, and if my medic is the person being moved, then I'm in real trouble. Uh, so having a larger team helps solve that problem. Solves the problem of security, gives us redundancy on, uh, on all of our, whether it's communications or, or medical. Um, so we thought that was, uh, that was really important to, to expand the size of the team, but also having a junior and a senior expands the operational lifetime of, uh, of our NCOs, right? And so we know our officers come through and at the team level they have a very short time. So that institutional knowledge on the team needs to be held there. And often we get this turnover and all the knowledge leaves the team. And you maybe have one person with experience. But if you have you know, a junior and a senior, now you're talking about each person filling that junior role, then the senior role, you're expanding that 24 months to 48 months. 
So you have somebody on the team that's deployed before in that position that can guide that junior, right, who's learning that position, learning to be a senior, and we're building in that institutional knowledge into the team, and it's not something that is lost every deployment cycle or every deployment cycle and a half. So exp expanding that operational lifetime, uh, you know, retaining that institutional knowledge within the team, I think, was really important for us. Yeah, for me, we talked a lot about you know the long-term goal, that being a long-term goal, and then the band-aid um, that I kind of suggested that we ran into while we were deployed was uh, it depends completely on what battalion you're in, where you're you know operating in, but if you could maybe have an eight-person team in you know out of a whole company. Um, in one country, because sometimes you have a four-man team covering a country that's the size of Texas. And then sometimes you have a four-man team covering three countries, but they're small islands. So, you know, if you could have that adaptability to shape your team based on the mission or combine teams for a certain mission, um, it could really increase your measure of effectiveness um, in that six-month span you have, because then you could have eight personnel, uh, you could have two medics, you know, uh, two communications, two engineers possibly, or it doesn't have to necessarily be communications engineers, just two civil reconnaissance NCOs who are, who are great at Palantir, uh, SIM, H&A, just two of those, two medics, a team leader, team sergeant, you can conduct split team ops within a country. And for us, I know we all agree, and, and the people I talked to in our command agree that if we had that availability where we were at, um, we would have doubled our effort in that six month span. And we did a, a very good job, I believe, in our six month time, but I only think of like what it could be if we had that option, and I know, um, Talking to other guys, they said that, that you know they did they did an amazing job with four people while operating in very smaller countries. So, I think it I think a band aid just temporarily is, is kind of just maybe working that factor out of more, you know, it's combining teams of eight people in, in a certain settings. So, you have anything, Haley? I think too with uh, with eight people and like for our deployment experience, uh, you're able to facilitate split team operations much easier. We were doing stuff in the east and west parts of the country. Uh, if we would have had eight people, then like Chris said, I think we would have been able to do a lot more as far as reporting and civil reconnaissance goes. Yeah, and really, if you look at, like, again, we're talking soft here. I mean, this could go over to reserve uh, civil affairs teams as well. I think the capabilities or the, the job that we're doing is it's the same, right? Just different environments, different bosses, right? So this could happen. But... I'm going to compare it to the other soft tribes again. You have PSYOP detachments and you have operational detachments. We're really the only the only tribe that has just teams at that level. So mm -hmm. PSYOP detachments have, I can't remember the number, but it's definitely more than four. I want to say it's around six or eight where they can split those up and how they, how they see fit. Maybe that whole detachment doesn't deploy to a country. Maybe that detachment splits and goes to different spots. But um, same concept there, right? And you guys talked about that a little bit, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask you because in your paper we talked about communication sergeants, engineer sergeants, and maybe that's not the right roles, right? But the, the theory or the thought behind it, I think, is still there, right? And you mentioned silver constants and COs because my question was going to be why those? Yeah, why <laughs> those two, right? Yeah. Um, because if you look at the, like, the whole reason a cat's there is to engage with that local population. Right, do those like achieve those effects, but more importantly, like civil reconnaissance as well. Right? I wouldn't say more importantly, but um, my big thing too is giving the Kankos a bit availability to have a, a defined role. Like a medic has that medic and that CA role, um, and they have to be masters of both. I think. I think a lot of times people say like, "Oh, you're just the medic," so CA kind of falls out the window, and I don't like that. But then you also hear like, 
you know, um, well, you're a medic first, CA second, or you're a CA first and medic second. I don't like that. I think you need to be master of both because when you have a teammate who's injured, when you have, you know, these situations like we encounter, like other teams have encountered where you have to treat casualties, like you truly need to be a master of both and, you know, anything less isn't acceptable. So I think giving Kankos the ability to show their expertise and things like if they want to do engineering like the SOC course or if they want to be masters at, you know, silver reconnaissance or, or Palantir, just giving them a credentialing on top of things that really, you know, emulates their role um, yeah. versus from what I've seen, they're just a jack of all trades, a master of none. I don't think that's fair in a defining, defining role for them. And what we had looked at and the reason why we chose those things is uh, the ability to piggyback off things that already exist, right? So without having to build out an entire new training pipeline and cadre, we have existing things that are there. We have elements of the 18 Echo course that could be implemented for communications for things like SDN, your small radios, as well as adding the competency and Palantir for HNA um, and other other platforms that we use. Uh, engineering, so you're talking about doing assessments, whether it's on a bridge, a building, whatever, so that adds to it, as well as uh, having the availability to put guys in the, uh, the 18 uh, Charlie vertical build portion of the course. So. Whatever it morphs into, uh, I think initially we have to build off existing programs because otherwise we don't have the people to build those things out. But if we start with something that already exists and we start taking from it, building that knowledge base, it can morph into whatever we want. So we just looked at what was available and then how we could nest those core competencies of CA under those things. You know, So like I said, for engineering, you've got assessments, things like that. For communications, you also have uh, support constants, Palantir, things like that. So uh, it was basically, how do we get this off the ground without proposing, like, we need a whole new schoolhouse, we need all, right. you know, all these cadre, instead of saying, like, well, we can send one person over to help out with this course that already exists yeah. until we start building up the, uh, the knowledge base that we have in order to develop our own things. That's kind of our band-aid, and then, like the long-term vision is the way that the medic pipeline's kind of set up where you have you know, SOCAM, the CA course, and SOCAMs, maybe that could be their kind of eight-week SOCAMs type deal after, mm -hmm. before they get to the unit. Not, and that might be, so there's been a lot of updates to the course. Um, we just started the new FY20 course, if you will. Like, this is the first iteration of it in January. Um, and then there will be cast that will be occurring immediately after this for these guys. So this is kind of like the... Um, I guess this is the basic course is what we're calling it now, right? So it would mirror where reserve and active duty guys will get the same same training right here, right? That's right. And then so cast will occur afterwards for active duty guys. Um, and then from there, a lot of the stuff you guys are talking about, like silver reconnaissance, I don't know how much communication stuff's in that pathway, to be honest with you, but I think that that may be something that cadre could address, or you guys could even address and uh, bring this up with them, but I think that that may be a spot to kind of mm -hmm. connect in there. Um, but uh, some of the other stuff we talked about, you know, and really this goes back to the doctrinal stuff you guys talked about too. Uh, in your paper, you, you guys were mentioning some of the, like in the pathway, the lack of, I guess, training, if you will, of like what reserve components are uh, consist of and like what the clearly defining the roles in there. So. Be happy to know that that has all been updated as well on the POI. So these guys are getting a lot more of that uh, coming through, and I think that it's long overdue, and that the arguments you guys made in your paper were valid. That's right. Um, so, but I, I still think there's a long way we can go to continue to improve those things too. So speaking on that with the RC and active duty, you guys 
mentioned integration, right? So now I was just talking about the basic course kind of combining. Uh, I know the officers have a lot of integration uh, between reserve and active duty in the pathway. So I guess I would pose the question to you guys too, you're talking about training. How do we, how do you guys think the best way going forward is to integrate with RC? Is that just a unit to unit? Is that a, is that, I, I don't know, is that institutional? How so do we do that? I think Chris, Chris has an interesting idea as far as um, outside the schoolhouse. I think for me, we had even talked about this. So you talk about the 12 week basic um, CA course. I think having the ability for reserve component and active component to, to get the same course together. Uh, there's a, a guy that I met when I was uh, working with World, World Food Program and uh, we were at a training event and he stood up and he said, you know, this is, training events like this are great because the first time we meet shouldn't be on an airfield in a foreign country in the middle of a disaster. And I think that's the same way with, uh, with our reserve component uh, brothers and sisters is, you know, we should have the opportunity where if we're training, say, maybe in that basic 12 weeks together, you have, you have the opportunity to sit in class and understand that, that reserve component soldier, they can understand the active duty side on a personal level and, and say like, hey, no, they're not all this way or that way. I know this guy, I went through the course with this guy, he's good, and maybe you'll see him again downrange, and, and he knows somebody you know from, from uh, the active side who was in the course with him, or he knows somebody that knew you in the course, and so you're creating a, a closer-knit community. Um, I know out, outside the course, when I was in a G9 position in Korea, we could not have operated without reserve component. Every exercise, we augmented uh, between eight and 16 reservists for every exercise we did, two to three times a year. And some of these guys would, uh, you know, they'd really melt your brain with their uh, civilian credentials and uh, depth of knowledge that they had. And uh, we couldn't have done our job uh, without those guys, as well as some of the people at the command level in Korea were, were reservists. And when you, when you meet these guys and you realize in, in a hierarchical society, um, that what they do on the civilian side, as well as the rank that they bring with them from the reserve side, because they do have a lot of the uh, uh, people at higher ranks, uh, really carried weight with our counterparts. Uh, you know, when you have some guy that walks in who, who might be a one star or he's a colonel, and, and then he tells the counterparts, "Yeah, my day job, I'm, you know, the vice president of a major company in the United States." Uh, that that carries some weight in, in those types of societies. Uh, so, I've seen it work. On the on the, uh, on the operational side, um, and I I think it'd be uh, beneficial um, in training as well in the training pipeline. Uh, Chris has some other ideas about yeah. further augmenting them. Well, so inherently, CA in general, uh, active reserve, uh, you know, attracts people with tremendous uh, credentials and uh, very um, amazing and outstanding, impressive bios. So my idea was. Uh, I learned in the course about 38 golf. So what if we had a 38 golf at each battalion uh, level? Uh, much like our veterinaries or doctors or any uplift in the battalion works as far as communications, things of that nature, um, they are available uh, to deploy it for you know, 45 day spans to the teams operating uh, and help them with whatever you know they're, they're trying to do. So what if you had a 38 golf there to facilitate the people in the reserves, the doctors, the lawyers, the civil engineers, the farmers, just all these people with all this experience facilitate what that team needs uh, downrange and you know get it for them send them somebody if not that person then whoever on the reserve side 
um, I'm sure they'd be more than willing to go to kind of uplift and help that team because we're always calling on the vets, the doctors, the communications people to come out and help us. Why is that not, you know, a thing as well? And that also helps the reserve understand what's going on real time in the operational environment, you know, passing the information to their counterparts. So it's, it promotes interoperability. Um, it gives them an option to, you know, um, have a, a spot with us and liaison with us. And then I think it promotes in the future possible joint exercises. I think we should be operating, you know, unilaterally with the reserves on joint training exercises so that we do understand capabilities downrange. Because we had met some reserve people uh, downrange, and they're just they're just amazing. They bring so much stable. I wish we had better access and better coordination to them. So, yeah, I, w I would also say that you know when when I was in a G nine position, we we only had two green suitors, uh, CA guys uh, in our office. And we reached back, I believe it was uh, 351st KCOM. I, I can't say enough about these guys. They were phenomenal. So we asked them for research capability. We, we called back to their SEM shop. They mobilized all their guys during their weekends. And those guys put in hours and hours of research trying to get us what we needed. And the products that we got from them were top notch. The, the, the information they were pro providing to us, we couldn't have done our job without. And uh, yeah, real shout out to uh, to 351st KCOM. They were they were phenomenal, and uh, they made a big difference uh, in in our daily operations and the future of the, the area that we were in. So that's awesome, man. That's I always like hearing those like stories where stuff like that happens, and and you hear about active duty and reserve CA just getting after it together. Because that's I really I think there's each each component brings something unique to the table, mm -hmm. right? and we've got a exploit both of those or you know while in theater otherwise we're we're leaving a lot left to be desired a lot of stuff on the table so